Hello and welcome to another episode of Highly Strange Hello. with Lewis and Sarah. Hello. I forgot how this goes. <laughs> how are you? I'm not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Are you excited? It's been a while since you've listened to an episode of mine. I know. No, I am excited. I've got I something. I think I know what you're doing. You think you know? Yeah. You'll never see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, something a bit different from my last few episodes. I've gone a bit off the rails. Yep. But um, <laughs> I think I'm slowly working my way back onto the rails, but not quite. We somewhere kind of, you're in a bit of a fork road. We're rail gone. adjacent at the moment. There you go. <laughs> On them parallel lines. You ready for some learning? I am, always. Okie dokie. Oh. Oh. The 16th century was what you could call a turbulent time in human history. In those short hundred years we saw the rise of both Western civilization and the Islamic empires of the Middle East. True that. <laughs> so, if you remember my last episode with you, which was the Kentucky, Kentucky Meat, Meat Show. Yeah. So you remember I did a bit of science. Mm-hmm. So that last episode you said it was science with Lewis. Yes. This week is going to be history with history Lewis. History with Lewis. We've gone on a bit of a history tangent the last few weeks on it. Yeah, well, enjoy. <laughs> So this is going to be some really educational stuff. Okay. The Renaissance in Italy and Europe saw the emergence of famous artists, authors and scientists, including Copernicus, the Polish astronomer who proposed a heliocentric universe, which we believe in today, and Tycho Brahe, who first observed the Milky Way galaxy. Galileo Galilei championed the scientific revolution inventing the very first thermometer. Legends. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. Legend. (laughs) It was also a time... Probably about to get soup thrown on it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's fairly recent. They thought they were doing that to be like, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to ruin the art, yeah, 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 it's going to make a stand. It was covered in glass. All they did was throw soup on glass and then got arrested. The thing that made me laugh the most is she's like, Families are starving. Let me throw this food and waste it. <laughs> On this glass. Oh, no, the art's totally fine. <laughs> you think they would just have the bare art they're going on the walls. They're though, aren't they? Yeah, no, See they're going to go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, I agree with their point. But hopefully maybe the Mona Lisa is safe for now. Maybe you shouldn't throw pe- uh, soup on art. Surely you should have picked a Campbell's soup as well. Heinz was a bit... <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just went for what's on offer. <laughs> Three for four normally on Heinz. <laughs> It was also a time of great colonisation. Spain and Great Por- colonisation. Great colonisation. <laughs> the good days. You're going to hate this bit. <laughs> Spain and Portugal claimed swaths of South America and France and England claimed stakes of the North. These developments would fuel the West's desire for expansion, which would continue into the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Everything good happened after that. <laughs> Wars broke out constantly across the world, in Europe and the Middle East, with the expansion of the Ottoman Empire in the latter. Japan and China fought over control of the Korean Peninsula. In 1556, the Shanxi earthquake in China killed over 100,000 people. Wow. That was horrendous. I did a bit of research 0.5% of their population. (laughs) Yeah, horrible. With this turmoil across the globe, established religious doctrines were being challenged. The Reformation in Europe saw the downfall of widespread Catholicism, which was widely being replaced by the more liberal Protestantism. 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 
Sounds like an illness, doesn't it? Oh, I've got a case of Protestantism. <laughs> I wrote that. Oh, yeah, Protestant, yeah. Protestantism is a lot harder to say. <laughs> and it was generally seen as the transition from the Middle Ages into the early modern period for Europe. So that's an incredibly brief overview of European history in the 16th century. Whoop, whoop. And then and that, Brexit happened. <laughs> and that's where our story begins. So Brexit's a bit further down the line. Right. Some French coming up. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, I know. Born on December 14th, 1503 in Saint-Rémy, France. Michel... France. It's either Michel or Michel. I'm going to say Michel. Michel de Nostradame came from a long line of Jewish doctors and scholars. His father was a grain dealer and was rather prosperous in his business. During his childhood, his family had converted from Judaism to Christianity in 1502 as a result of persecution during the rise of Louis XII and the Spanish Inquisition. So I didn't go into the Spanish Inquisition because that would be an extra fucking 20 minutes. (laughs) Michel's great intellect became apparent when he was very young and his education was put into the hands of his grandfather, Jean, or Jean, who taught him the rudiments of Latin, Greek, Hebrew, mathematics and astrology. It's believed that his grandfather also introduced him to the ancient rites of Jewish tradition and the teachings of astrology, giving Nostradame his first exposure to the idea of the heavens and how they might drive human destiny. At the ripe old age of 15, he entered the University of Avignon, where he studied medicine, herbalism and astrology. Unfortunately, as the Black Plague was still raging through Europe, he was forced to leave after just a year. In the following years, he worked as an apothecary, someone who prepares and sells medicines and herbal remedies. In 1529, he entered the University of Montpellier, to study for a doctorate in medicine, but was promptly expelled when it was discovered that he had been an apothecary, which was a manual trade expressly banned by the university statutes. He then continued to travel France and Italy as an apothecary, treating plague patients wherever he went. During this time, he created a rose pill that was widely believed to protect against the plague. During this period, he was already using some innovative methods of treatment, His treatment of the Black Death involved removal of the infected corpses, fresh air and unpolluted water for the healthy, a herbal preparation rich in vitamin C, and in contravention of contemporary medical practice, not bleeding his patients. (laughs) So, you know, it's a bit like, get rid of the corpses, and that already did a huge amount. Get rid of the corpses, stop drinking dirty water. So simple. Which, yeah, it's simple today, but, I mean, that was back in the 1500s. You know, they didn't, they didn't have germ theory back then. No, no. Germs weren't a thing that existed back then. Well, they existed. Well, they existed, <laughs> but they didn't have an idea about them. Michel soon found himself to be somewhat of a local celebrity for his work successfully treating the plague. In 1531, he was invited by leading philosopher Jules Caesar Scalesia to come to Agen, southwest France. There, Nostradam married a young and beautiful girl from a wealthy background, although unfortunately whose name is still in dispute, although it's possibly Henriette Duncourse. Duncourse? Mm. They settled down and had two children. Why do you know? Why is her name in dispute? Well, the records then were a bit hazy. Oh, okay. And um, 
1534, his wife and children died from the plague. Oh. So she weren't around for too long, so... The, Side character. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These fatalities were a, were a professional as well as a personal disaster, as who would trust a physician who could not save his own wife and children from the plague? His troubles were further compounded by being sued for the return of dowry monies by his late wife's family. So he's a bit down in his luck at the moment. Yeah, not the best start. Four years later, in 1538, an off-handed remark about a religious statue resulted in charges of heresy against Notre Dame. When ordered to appear before the Inquisition, he wisely chose to leave Provence to travel for several years to Italy, Greece and Turkey. So he's having a, he's having a real tough time of it at the moment. So now he's on the run as well. It was in these years Michelle visited what I've seen described as ancient mystery schools. <laughs> And that's where he had his psychic awakening. That sounds a well-cool place to go. When you, you would fit right in in an ancient <laughs> mystery school. I'd be the head fucking teacher. <laughs> You'll be that nerd at the front of the class. <laughs> I know an ancient mystery. <laughs> One of the stories say that during his travels in Italy, he came upon a group of Franciscan monks, identifying one as the future Pope. The monk called Felice Peretti, was eventually ordained Pope Sixtus V in 1585, fulfilling the prediction of Michel de Nostradamus, who's now going by the Latinized name, Nostradamus. Oi, oi. Did you see that one coming? Here we go. <laughs> We're in. <laughs> We're in. Feeling he'd stayed away long enough to be safe from the Inquisition, Nostradamus returned to France from its mystical tour to resume his practice of treating plague victims. So he had like this mystical awakening going to these ancient schools. And now he took he's a gap year. He took a gap year. <laughs> and now he's um, back to treating the Black Death. So. Well, noble. In 1547, he settled in the town of Salon de Provence and married a rich widow named Anne Ponsard. Together they would have six children, <laughs> three boys and three girls. Sorry, I was loving that her name sounds like Ponce and then like he's married a rich <laughs> it's, woman. Or, it's probably not pronounced that way. We all know how much Ponsard? I struggle with French. Ponsard? <laughs> In the early years of his second marriage, Nostradamus had also published two books on medical science. One was a translation of Galen, the Roman physician, and a second book, The Traite de Fardemons, was a medicinal cookbook for treating the plague and for the preparation of cosmetics, candies, jams, and even a love potion. Oh. I don't know what a love potion would consist of or how it would work. Well, it depends. Surely you have to get the person to drink it and then they'll fall in love with you. Or maybe it was like a love jam, because he made jams. Yeah. Spread some of this love jam on your toast, dear love. <laughs> Oh, I hate love jam. I realised as I said that love jam sounds grim. That'd be a great thing for what the people woke up covered in after the alien abductions. I'm covered in love jam. Love jam. <laughs> That's also a great name for a band. Yeah. Love jam. <laughs> However, Nostradamus would soon begin to move away from traditional medicine, such as love jam and love potions. Love games. It is said that he would spend hours in his study at night 
meditating in front of a bowl filled with water and herbs. The meditation would bring on a trance and visions, visions that would go on to become the basis of his future predictions. So I did a bit of reading. They, they, that's called scrying. Yeah, scrying, yeah. yeah. I don't really know anything about it. That's more of like a you, well, you sort would of thing. Visualize and like stare into the water, and yeah. then supposedly what will happen is you'll see the visions within the water. Would that just work if we got like a bowl of water now and we'd just sit there and stare at it? Would we? Yeah, if you like meditated long enough, oh, okay. it, that's effectively all it is. You so smoke, it's smoke enough weed, and then you're <laughs> going to be like seeing the future. Yeah, I've tried it. Yeah, what did you just see? Uh, I just saw a fish going around in the water. <laughs> you was, was you looking in a pond? <laughs> no, it was a little bowl of water. We meant to like do it in the dark and then oh, we'll okay. just do it for a couple of hours first and then just let... Because it, it's just a reflective thing, so, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, see what you'll see in the reflections. And you saw a fish. Yes. Well, maybe you're not quite as good as Nostradamus then. <laughs> Apparently not. In 1550... Nostradamus wrote his first almanac of astrological information and predictions of the coming year. So almanacs are essentially annual books that provided useful information for farmers and merchants. They contained entertaining bits of local folklore and predictions for the coming year. So think... Do you remember when we was young, when we was little, and you had those yearly annuals you used to get? Mm -hmm. And you'd get, like, a Pokemon one or something, which I used to get every year. And they'd just have, like, trivia and, like year-long weather forecast yeah. and when to plant your potatoes and all mm -hmm. that sort of shit. His first almanac, which incorporated some of his visions, was so popular that his name quickly spread all across France and encouraged Nostradamus to write more. By 1554, Nostradamus's visions had become an integral part of his works in the almanacs and he decided to channel all his energies into a massive opus he initially titled Centuries. He planned to write 10 volumes, which would contain 100 predictions forecasting the next 2,000 years. It was like fast and furious, it? <laughs> <laughs> Took me a second to... And here's my prediction eight. Um, <laughs> someone will fall over. Vin there will be a fast and a furious car. <laughs> fast and furious, 27. <laughs> Aren't they on, like, nine at the moment? They're right. racing around a car park. <laughs> really run out of Watch ideas. Watch Disney cars, it's much better. <laughs> <laughs> in 1555, he published Les Prophecies, or The Prophecies. Les Prophecies. Les Prophecies. <laughs> a collection of his major long-term predictions, which I actually have a copy of right dun, here. Dun, dun. It caught this sacred text... <laughs> The best known mystic of all time, it says on the front. It's not got a blurb. Um, cost me £4 on Amazon. Ooh. I wonder where the money goes now to the publisher. This is actually published by Amazon themselves. Oh, OK. So, so you gave money to Jeff. I gave money directly to Jeff. Basically, I think this is all open source knowledge now. So anyone could go along and just make it. And I think Amazon mm. just decided to do it themselves and chuck it on there for mm. four quid. Well done, Bezos. So the prophecies is literally just a list of his prophecies. Um, my one's over 100 pages just of the prophecies in the list. Nostradamus was concerned at the time of future religious persecution, which he'd already suffered and was essentially on the run for almost a decade. As such, he decided to obscure the meanings of his predictions by writing them in the form of quatrains, basically rhymed four-lined verses 
and also writing them in a mixture of languages, Greek, Latin, Italian and Provencal, a dialect of his home, southern France. Wrote them down in, like, limericks. <laughs> yes, they were essentially, like, limericks, poems, mm-hmm. but they were all in mixed-up languages. Some would be in, like, two languages at the same time, just to make them super confusing. As such, he never did face persecution for his writings. The Inquisition didn't deem them heretical as they didn't discuss the use of magic. He did, however, run into some controversy. Some people suggested his writings were the work of the devil and he was a servant of Satan. Others simply thought he was a fraud and even more thought he was insane. Despite this, his fame continued to explode. His growing fame made him an in-demand ally of Europe's elite. Catherine de' Medici, the wife of King Henry II of France, was one of Nostradamus' greatest admirers. After reading his almanacs of 1555, where he hinted at unnamed threats to her family, she summoned him to Paris to explain and draw up horoscopes for her children. A few years later, she made him counsellor and physician in ordinary to King Henry's court. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was kind of almost <coughs> like a... Um, What's his name? Russian. He was kind of like a Rasputin kind oh, of character. Rasputin, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> if you'd have said Russian blue eyes. <laughs> Haunting eyes. Big wherever. swinging dick. <laughs> Chopped off dick. Apparently it was huge. It's going to be like in a jar somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we must go and visit Rasputin's nine-inch penis in a jar. <laughs> must go and do that. I'm good. <laughs> well, I'll go on my own then. <laughs> In 1556, while serving in this capacity, Nostradamus explained another prophecy from centuries one, which was assumed to refer to King Henry. The prophecy told of a young lion who would overcome an older one on the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older one and he would die a cruel death. Nostradamus warned the king that he should avoid a ceremonial jousting. The king did not avoid ceremonial jousting. Silly old man. Three years later, when King Henry was 41 years old, he died in a jousting match when a lance from his opponent pierced the king's visor and entered his head from the eye deep into his brain. He survived for 10 days before finally dying of infection. Wow. That's pretty mad, isn't it, that back then, in the 16th century, he got stabbed through his eye into his brain and lived for 10 10 days. 10 days, yeah. He got Jeffrey Dahmered. He, they, yeah, yeah, like he's a zombie. He lived for ten days, presumably in horrible agony, as the infection then set in, and because of the time, all they did was assume they shoved his eye socket full of herbs. Yeah, because he got like sepsis, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been horrendous. Nice. What a way to go. Nostradamus claimed to base his published predictions on judicial astrology the art of forecasting future events by calculation of the planets and stellar bodies in relationship to the Earth. It was judicial astrology combined with his herb-induced visions where he would derive his predictions from. Herb-induced visions. He did like a herb. (laughs) (laughs) However, many scholars believe that he simply lifted many of his end-of-the-world prophecies from ancient religious texts, predominantly the Bible, and then using astrological readings projected these events into the future. So if you enjoy an end-of-the-world story, just read the Bible. (laughs) Great Armageddon content in it. Really cheerful book that billions of people in the world um, listen to. I own one. 
You own a Bible. Ooh, I've got one here. I walked into a church the other day. I love going in the church, not for religious reasons. Yeah, it was like a religious ceremony and everything. And I pledged the Lord and everything. Ooh. I didn't burst into flames. Oh, was that the christening? That was the christening. Yeah, okay. yeah I to pledged God and I had to touch holy water <laughs> on my hands. I loved that bit in lockdown when they were doing christenings with water pistols. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to put my hand in the bowl of holy water and do the whole thumb Sting. thing and the boys, yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was nice. It was a nice service. One thing, perhaps Nostradamus certainly did predict, however, was his own demise. Nostradamus suffered from gout and arthritis for most of his adulthood. In the last years of his life, the condition turned into edema, referred to at the time as dropsy. Dropsy. <laughs> Have you heard of a dropsy? I'd heard of it before, but I never no. like, realised what it was. It's a condition where abnormal amounts of fluid accumulate beneath the skin or within cavities of the body. Without treatment, the condition would inevitably result in congestive heart failure. In late June of 1566, Nostradamus asked to see his lawyer to draw up an extensive will, leaving much of his estate to his wife and children. On the evening of July the 1st, he is alleged to have made his final prediction. He told his secretary, You will not find me alive at sunrise. Mm. The next morning, he was reportedly found dead, lying on the floor next to his bed. Mm. It was a bit of a lazy one, though, weren't it? You will not find me alive at sunrise. I mean, it, all his others were like four lines and like poetry. <laughs> <laughs> you won't find me alive. I've had enough. Imagine if it was just like, and then he drank poisons, and it was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Nostradamus left not only his large estate, but his collection of predictions with him, a legacy that continues to this day as a household name. So now we know who he was. Let's go through some of his most famous predictions. Go on. Go on. I, I don't actually know that many of his predictions. Do you not? Oh, okay. No. Here's, here's one. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23s to 6. The ancient lady will fall from a high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. Mm. What do you think that's predicting? I don't know. Say it again, sorry. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23s, the 6. The ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. So something with a queen? I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll break it down. So start with the location, London. Mm-hmm. 23s, the 6. Let's do some numerology. We've not done that on this podcast no. yet. It's fucking bullshit, that's why. <laughs> 20 times 3, 23s, so 20 times 3, mm-hmm. and it's 60. 23's the 6, add that 6. 66. Oh, okay. Combine that with London and add a bit of spice to it, you have London 1666. So that's the Great Fire of London. Yes. yes. What happened in London in 1666? The Great Fire of London. From Sunday the 2nd of September through to Thursday the 6th, a great fire gutted the medieval city of London. Although the historical records show the death count to be as low as six official deaths, over 13,000 homes, 87 churches and St Paul's Cathedral were all destroyed. And all the rats. <laughs> Can you believe they thought six people died? How many actually did? I don't know. I don't know well, the scale of it. I know it's obviously a huge scale, but... 
at the time, peasant deaths were not recorded. Oh. So we have no true idea how many people perished, but I imagine it's probably a few more than six. Yeah. And lots of rats. Lots of rats. Those poor rats. Yeah. Roasted rats. Now, one could argue that Nostradamus predicted this great calamity, despite the fact that the cause of the Great Fire of London started in Thomas Farriner's... Sorry. Started in a bakery or something. In a bakery, yeah. yeah. And it was not the result of lightning. No. No one really knows what the ancient lady refers to. And as we see, as we go on, we'll see that they leave a lot of interpretation. Yeah, sure. I can't believe you knew that the Great Fire of London was in 1666. You're that's, surprised I knew that. That was some great knowledge. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> when you like, I was like, I'm going to big big reveal, and you was like, oh yeah, great fire. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> on, to, on to the next one. Songs, chants, and demands will come from the enslaved, held captive by the nobility in their prisons. At a later date, brainless idiots will take these as divine utterances. Ah, uh, he predicted the Tory party. <laughs> <laughs> You're not far off. You're not far off. In 1789, the French people decided they'd had enough of aristocratic rule. Well, there's a bit more to it than that. Oh, so but... is this going to be like a peasant revolt? Mm. They revolted, storming the Bastille, a Paris fortress used as a prison. The fall of the Bastille, which symbolised the monarchy's abuses, marked the height of the French Revolution. The peasants quickly took control of Paris and enforced their demands by kidnapping the royals and also with the liberal usage of the guillotine. <laughs> so, <laughs> liberal usage, liberal of, the usage of the guillotine. Songs, chants and demands will come from the enslaved, held captive by the nobility in their prisons. So the first half could refer to the chants and demands of the revolution... And the uprising against the aristocracy, mm-hmm. you think think Arab Springs, think crowds shouting. Brainless idiots is perhaps quite on the nose and it refers to the more than a few people that had their heads removed. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Therefore becoming brainless. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Unless they went on for ten days. <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. <laughs> we should do an episode about Mike the Chicken. Was Mike the Chicken? Have you, oh, so I assume you knew what the Great Fire of London when when that was, <laughs> but you don't know Mike the Chicken. No. It was this famous chicken that had its head cut off, cut off oh, where then... it was kind of hanging, and it survived for, like, months afterwards. Oh, so is that the head... start of running around like a headless chicken? Yeah. Is that where that comes from? Yeah, basically. Okay. And they fed it, like, food down its neck hole. and. Oh. <laughs> It's a great People story. weird shit. Man. Yeah, that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that at some point. The real scary side is humanity. (laughs) Isn't that the lesson we learn every week? (laughs) But it wasn't entirely all death and destruction that Nostradamus predicted. The lost thing is discovered, hidden for many centuries. Pasteur will be celebrated almost as a godlike figure. This is when the moon completes her great cycle. But by other rumours, he shall be dishonoured. Born in 1822, Louis Pasteur was a French chemist and microbiologist who discovered that the growth of microorganisms causes fermentation. That discovery also proved bacteria doesn't simply appear spontaneously, as previously thought. Instead, it grows from already living organisms in a process called biogenesis. While Pasteur didn't first propose germ theory, he convinced much of Europe of its validity. He invented a process for removing bacteria, pasteurisation, which is named after him. 
His early work also led to the creation of vaccines for rabies and anthrax. However, in 1995, science historian Gerald L. Gayson published a book showing Pasteur incorporated a rival's findings to make his anthrax vaccine functional. That finding partly dishonoured the great scientist, as Nostradamus predicted. Oh, okay. That one's a bit more specific as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, Less interpretation on that one. I love the fact that Nostradamus was predicting scientific drama <laughs> in the 19th century. <laughs> so fair enough, he predicted a great scientist with his name. But then he also just predicted that they'd be like, oh, no, it turned out he was actually lying. That's fantastic. So are there quite a lot of um, modern day? Pre- I know there's like 19th quite a, century is still there's like quite a, a few, ago, yeah. Right? There's quite a few, yeah. Also, we learned where the word pasteurisation yeah, comes from. Yeah, didn't know that. That's there great. Facts, fun that facts. That is quality content that you come to listen to <laughs> us every week for. Back to the death and destruction. Oh, okay. Segway. <laughs> I suspect. I know you said you haven't heard much of these, but you probably have heard these too. Okay. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. Any guesses? No. You want me to say it again? Yeah. He... Oh, sorry. <laughs> From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. I can't. I can't connect it. Okay, let's make some connections. Adolf Hitler was born uh. in Austria. <laughs> Western I Europe. Was, in my head, I was like, but there's so many tyrants. So that there's, could be, there's a lot to like, choose from. Could have been any of them. Adolf Hitler was born in Austria, Western Europe, to poor parents in 1889. After suffering a failed career as an artist, he followed the sentiments of the time and blamed the Jews for his mediocre artistic ability and probably more accurately... The suffering of the German people following the First World War. So everyone blamed the Jews for what happened in Germany after World War One. Which isn't true, but that's what they all thought. You, you always need a scapegoat. We yeah. always need this. Always immigrants. Yeah. Always people coming over and dingies. It's their fault, not the government that keeps giving the fucking rich people tax breaks. I'm sorry. It's happening at the moment and everyone's like, oh... Who would do it better, though? While well, the rich, the 1% of having their pockets lined, which are yep. doing it themselves because they run the government. Yep. So they're just giving themselves more money. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we're bankrolled by evil people right now. But yeah, know. yeah, that's true. That's true. Hitler was skilled, however, at riling up a crowd and used his tongue to seduce a great troop, leading the National Socialist German Workers' Party to gain control of Germany and launch the world into its second great war. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows the stories of the Nazis and World War Two and times and running butter. out and the margarine that they went to the <laughs> Antarctic for. Everyone knows that story. And I've done a lot of history and I didn't want to hurt myself after doing about the Nazis. <laughs> Nostradamus, however, didn't leave it at that. He wrote two quatrains dedicated to the rise of Hitler and the Second World War. Beasts ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister. Into a cage of iron will the great one be drawn when the child of Germany observes nothing. 
What does hister mean? Well, it gets brought up quite a lot. That's the main thing about this one is the word hister. Many believed it was simply a typo of Hitler or it was referring to Hitler in some way. But it's actually an old word for the Danube River, okay. which runs through the heart of Austria and into Germany's Black Forest. Oh, OK. So it still, still refers relevant, to yeah. Hitler and where he was born because he was the tyrant from there, but just not his name, just the word hister. Whilst the first quatrain refers to the rise of Hitler, the second one refers to the war and eventual defeat of the Axis powers, stating that the greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister or the Austro-Germans. Um, this is like my, my interpretation of this, to be fair. The Great One, possibly referring to the leader, Hitler, was drawn into Berlin, where he committed suicide in a metal bunker under the rubble of Berlin as the Russians moved in. So that's what a cage of iron could be, the bunker yeah, yeah. that he was, he was drawn into and he observes nothing because he's in the bunker, you can't see, and then he eventually tops himself. So that's as far as a history lesson on the Second World War you're ever, ever going to get in this podcast. <laughs> Until I eventually came and do a five-part series on Hitler's love of the occult and Nazi UFOs. Yeah. Which I will do one day, so everything I just said is a lie because I can't <laughs> wait to go back into the Nazis again. Yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> you say you look forward to it, but your face looks nervous. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> it's going to be one where I'm going to be sweating. We're going to have to do that one in the winter. That's not a summer one. No. <laughs> that might be a Christmas episode. No, <laughs> it's not. Very festive. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> the heavenly dark withstretch its course. Death in the speaking, a great achievement. The proud nation brought low by the stone in the tree. Rumours of a monstrous human bring purge, then expiation. This one, I can't see you having a clue. No. Stone in the tree. Stone in the tree. That's You've actually honed in on the point that everyone takes from this one. I don't get what that's referencing, though. No. In August of 1945... The United States dropped two atomic bombs on the island nation of Japan, hitting Hiroshima and Nagasaki, an event that marked the end of the Second World War. Whilst there is no exact number, it is estimated that between 129 to 226,000 deaths occurred over the two bombings. God. Those who escaped immediate detonation suffered painful radiation poisoning and eventual death. Yeah, that's horrible. I've watched quite a few documentaries about it and it's really bleak yeah i mean it doesn't sound yeah no it's not great whatsoever <laughs> if you want if you want to watch a film about nuclear holocaust um, kate mentioned it in our previous episodes well the last one i did with her um a film called threads yeah i haven't uh, seen that it's really good it's like an 80s like a cold war proper cold war film bbc uh, like a bbc um like tv film mm-hmm. film for tv sort of thing and it's about the city of sheffield and it gets nuked essentially by the Russians with okay. Cold War propaganda, and it's like an incredibly realistic, like scientific approach to what would happen okay. if a bomb was dropped, and it's unbelievably bleak. Where can you watch? It? What's it on? Um, I think it might be on YouTube, but I've got like a DVD. You can buy the DVD for quite okay. cheap. But um, yeah, because the first half an hour it's like watching an episode of EastEnders. That's the thing, you get used to this, it's almost like a soap, families, drama and everything. And in the background, there's like this menacing idea that there's something brewing with the Cold War and the Middle East and everything. 
and you sort of hear it in the background. They're talking like in the talking in a car, talking about their love life or whatever, and you just hear a radio broadcast in the background about it. I find that really fascinating. Then out of nowhere, you just hear the sirens and the bombs drop, yeah. essentially, and it builds up to a climax. Then that happens, and it's really grim. So yeah, watch threads. <laughs> now back to, back to Nostradamus. <laughs> a stone in the tree in Nostradamus's quatrain could describe the shape of the mushroom cloud that engulfed the sky above the city. It could also mean a land-bound object, like a stone or a bomb, paradoxically appearing where it shouldn't, a tree or the sky. Mm. Well, that one's a bit of a reach. So this one is one of the quite esoteric interpretations. Stone in It's really famous, and I don't really understand why, because I can't really get my head around it. Not like the... The Hitler one or the Pasteur one, yeah, yeah. where it's quite, quite obvious. But I mean, maybe smarter people than us. I suppose heavenly darts will stretch its course, something will fly across the sky. But then it was a bomb, so it fell straight down. It weren't a missile like it today. Just, it feels like one of those ones that you could fit to like loads of different events. Yeah. That's the thing, doesn't it? Yeah. But I mean, I suppose a proud nation was brought low by the stone in the tree. Japan was a proud nation during the war times mm-hmm. and it was certainly brought low by the bombings. It did lead to their immediate surrender. But that's not the end of Nostradamus's grim prophecies as we will move into our modern times where we will pick up after our Halloween episode Ooh. next week. This was a two-parter. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Halloween one as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Spooky seasons. Uh, yeah, thanks. I like the... Um... Nostradamus ones. And I didn't actually know much about him as an individual, so it's nice to know his history. Yeah, we got a bit of history for him to sort of really set up. Next week, I'm going to go into a lot of the modern-day predictions he made. Stuff like, I don't want to spoil it too much, stuff like 9-11, that's really famous, you know, he probably predicted mm-hmm. that. And then some thought he predicted COVID-19. Oh, OK, I didn't know that one. And then, obviously, he predicted the death of the Queen Elizabeth yeah. II. Yeah. You know, because every time something big happens... Eventually, the Sun or the Daily Mirror come out with an article like, "Who was Nostradamus and how did he predict this event?" <laughs> you know that's happened all the time, so yeah. it's quite fun to look into those. And then I'm gonna look into some other famous predictions and people that predict predictors, prophets. I like it. Well, I have to do an episode on um, the witchy lady that predicted all the um, ships that sank. Yes, that'll be fun. Maybe I'll try and keep it on track and do that next or something. I make no promises. I said no, no. She she just normally decides a few days before. Yeah, (laughs) but uh, it's actually one thing I find really interesting. To be fair, I really find it fascinating. Mm, Yeah, no, it is fascinating. I like it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Who are you recommending to? See, I I have time to think about this, but I don't really know who I'm gonna. I don't know. Who should I give it? Who should I recommend this one to? Um, anyone that likes numerology. Yes. I would recommend... Next time you're at a local protest or a rally <laughs> and people are rising up against the brainless idiots, recommend it to them. <laughs> because nowadays I seem to drive past a bloody strike every day. Anyone my way home from like... work. Do something, tell them about the podcast, and then be like, bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> yes, yes, you hate your bosses, you hate the government, but also have you listened to other highly strange <laughs> podcasts? 
Look, you could be out there frying soup <laughs> at Van <Gogh>, or <laughs> you could be listening to Highly Strange. Yes, I mean, yes, the country is in a state and we should fight for more rights and fight for a better government. But have you listened to us talk about holes? <laughs> That's... <laughs> Well, on that note... <laughs> talk, talk about holes is a future episode that I've just spoiled. <laughs> you can email us. At highly Maybe strange. if anyone's got their own predictions, email us. <laughs> I would love know. to hear some of our listeners' predictions. Yeah, let us know. Email us at highlystrangepod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at highlystrangepod. Um, no idea what I'm going to post on there for this. Maybe just a picture of Nostradamus. He's just going to post a picture of his book. Yes. <laughs> High quality this book is. It really is. <laughs> yeah, and please like, share, subscribe, rate, review. All um, of the nice things that make us smile. Yes. Thank you very much. Have a lovely week. Mm. Bye. Bye.